Well, friends, today we are going to dig right into it with a really hot topic. If you've been on social media recently, uh, paying attention to Christian news, you've seen all kinds of news articles about Alistair Begg. And so who is Alistair Begg? He is this Scottish pastor. He's a senior pastor of a church in Cleveland called Parkside Church. He's been there since 1983. I believe he's in his early 70s. Um, uh, he is uh, the voice on the Truth For Life Christian radio show. Uh, he's been preaching and ministering there for many decades. Uh, and so he uh, is a pastor. He's a broadcaster, a radio show host. He's been renowned as a really solid, conservative, uh, Bible-preaching pastor. But there's been this big controversy, and it's been all over social media, lots of articles, and it's because on his radio show, a elderly grandmother called in and asked if she should go to the wedding of her grandson who is marrying someone who is transgender. So we don't really know anything else about the situation. We don't know what the transgender person's gender was, if was a female and thought that uh, he's a ma fe male now or vice versa. We, we don't, we don't know, but the, the fallout has been huge. Uh, everyone's writing about it and it's caused a lot of um, controversy in the Christian community. So what people are saying is that he has completely compromised on sexuality. Uh, they're saying that um, he's now in support of transgenderism and homosexuality. The, the reality is, is that he's really being canceled. You know, cancel culture is a big thing right now. And a bunch of the radio stations that carried his show have now dropped his show because of just that one small uh, moment of telling her grandmother that she could go to her grandson's wedding. Uh, people are calling for repentance. I've heard the, re the word repentance and rebuke so many times uh, in the last two weeks. Uh, many times in capital letters. I see memes being made about him. I see him being mocked. Uh, he's uh, having speaking engagements canceled. Uh, but the fallout has been far and wide with a lot of loud voices. And so it's this topic of, should we ever go to a same-sex wedding, a transgender wedding, um, anything in the LGBTQ spectrum? Let me just tell you, that I've never been to a same-sex wedding. Um, I really hope that I'd never feel the need to go to one. Um, I've never been invited to one. Uh, but if I am, it's something that we need to show some serious prayer and discernment. And my natural instinct is to not go. I want to give them well wishes. I would want to make sure that they know that they are loved. Uh, I would want to invest in them. I'd want to share the gospel with them. Um, but I don't think it's as cut and dry and black and white as so many Christians make you to be. And should we be canceling someone because this is their opinion on how a grandmother should respond? I absolutely don't think so. So let me share some of my concerns and thoughts about the situation. First of all, uh, I think that there's been more sin from haters and from other Christians against Alistair Begg uh, because of how they're disagreeing. Um, I don't think that we need to be using the word rebuke and repentance. I don't think we need to be canceling him. There's people who want his life and his ministry destroyed. I see people on social media, Christians saying that 
like he's going to burn in hell because he's obviously not saved, which I think is ridiculous. And that's a very extreme response. But I hear people cursing at him and mocking him. Uh, I hear people say that they, they're throwing away uh, all their books on their bookshelf that he has written. And I, I've seen people sharing pictures doing that. And I think that that is a sin against him. Um, I think that it is revealed uh, um, hatred. I think it's revealed lack of unity, lack of charity, a lack of kindness, a lack of patience and peace. It's revealed um, people's hearts are contrary to what God calls them to be. And I think it's revealed that a lot of people need repentance. And I don't think that that person is Pastor Beg. I think that this issue of weddings um, needs to be a matter of opinion and conscience and sincere deliberation on a case-by-case basis. And I don't think that we can um, have this just black and white rule of what is acceptable and what is not acceptable. And I don't think we should be making false accusations against someone claiming that they have uh, completely compromised on sexuality and are now in support of LGBTQ sin when he has made clear that that is absolutely not the case. Another frustration I've, I've had or observation is that Christians love to use scripture to throw them at the gays or the homosexual community. And I experienced that growing up. I experienced people always quoting, you know, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, uh, just at the homosexual community while ignoring all the rest of that list of sins, uh, which really covers all of us on a daily basis. And so I, I see people who uh, are throwing these arrows um, and obviously have a disdain towards this certain group of people, the LGBTQ community, yet turn such a blind eye to heterosexual sin. And it's, it's that type of hypocrisy that has tarnished the witness of the church. I still uh, go to many churches where there is an attitude of look at the homosexual community. They're ruining the sanctity of marriage. My response has always been, I think that heterosexuals have done a pretty good job of that over the last hundred years with no-fault divorce and cohabitation and all kinds of sex outside of marriage and you know pornography. Uh, and those are serious issues. And God's grace is sufficient for them. And 1 Corinthians 6, verse 11 says, And such were some of you, but you're washed, you're sanctified, you're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. But we tend to single out this one aspect of sexual sin and throw the book at them and use the Bible as a weapon against them. Whereas my life as a homosexual man changed when people, instead of using the Bible as a weapon against me, they came alongside me, started using the Bible as a weapon to fight for me, to fight my sin with me. And that radically changed my life. So for a lot of these uh, individuals who um, are claiming that you should absolutely never ever attend the wedding of a same-sex person uh, or a same-sex wedding or a wedding of someone who's uh, identifying as transgender. Um, I, I think that we have to ask the question, should we go to any wedding where someone is living in sin? Like the wedding of some uh, heterosexual couple who's been sleeping together? like where there's sexual sin and that's a big part of their relationship. 
Uh, they've been living together publicly. Um, what about a, a couple where there's been pornography involved, which is most couples? What about uh, um, a couple uh, that's getting married after a divorce and it wasn't a divorce on biblical grounds? Should we refuse to go to those weddings? Maybe so in many cases, but that is a matter of discernment on a case-by-case -case basis on what do I need to do in this situation to not celebrate sin, yet also to uh, celebrate you know, people as individuals, to build relationships, to have opportunities to share the gospel. And those are serious decisions we have to make that require prayer and discernment and applying many aspects of scripture and applying wisdom from all parts of the Bible. There's many ways in which we interact with sinners on a daily basis, and we all have to decide in different situations, what boundaries are we going to set for these sinners in our lives? What boundaries do we set and for what reasons? You know, do I go to a wedding of someone who's been living together? Do I go to the, the wedding of someone who's divorced? What about celebrating gluttony with someone while we eat with them? And they're committing the act of gluttony. Many times I've been that person who's committing the sin of gluttony. Uh, and I'm thankful that people still ache with me. But for the people who know me well, who know my heart, who are investing in me, I would want them to hold me accountable. It's like, hey, man, how are you doing with food in your life? How are you doing at not idolizing it? How are you doing at being healthier, which is something I'm, I'm still trying to work on? I would expect those, there'd be some accountability from uh, my my spiritual leadership in my life. And I haven't always experienced that, but we should. Uh, but we don't uh, say, well, I'm not going to eat with someone if they might be committing a sin while we're eating it. And if they might be celebrating their sin. I've see, seen plenty of gluttony celebration at, at church potluck. What about someone celebrating someone's pride or image or massive amount of debt by riding in their new truck, Right. Someone goes out and buys it, and your friend goes out and buys a new truck and comes over and wants to show it to you. And maybe it's a source of uh, sinful pride in his life or an unhealthy image, and he sinned by the amount of debt. He's now enslaved to someone. Well, if I'm a close friend of this person, then finances is something that we should be talking about. And because we, we need to honor God with our money. And as uh, if someone's a Christian and they're close part of my life, they're in my church, we should be holding each other accountable. We should check each other's hearts. Be like, hey man, like where's your heart in this? And we should be diving into that as we have opportunity. But I'm not going to say, I'm not going to look at your new truck or I'm not going to ride in it because people might assume that I'm celebrating the sin in your life. And I know that many people watching this are saying, okay, those are apples and oranges. And I absolutely agree. Those are different situations. Some of them have much more weight than others. But all that is say that we have to set boundaries with how we interact with uh, sinners and we have to use discernment in each case about what those boundaries need to be for our best witness to those people and witness to others. And I think in most of those cases, that would lead most Christians to not go to a wedding that was a same-sex wedding or with a transgender person. But I think we need to examine our hearts. We need to examine um, uh, how we're applying scripture to these situations. We need to use discernment on 
How are we loving our neighbor the most? Um, what gives us the right to speak truth to someone? Uh, how are we being hypocrites by applying these rules and regulations in some situations, uh, but not others? How are we showing a lack of unity by completely condemning a pastor like Alistair Begg for interpreting some of these situations differently? Uh, in Alistair's response, um, one of the things he said was that there's a lot of Pharisees who uh, disagreed with him. And a lot of people were really offended that he used the word Pharisees. Um, and I think that there's a lot of people who disagreed with Alistair who did it very kindly and graciously. And I respect that. I respect some of the conclusions that they came to. Uh, but there were a lot of Pharisees. Pharisees love to set arbitrary rules to make themselves look good and to catch others looking bad. And this boundary of that we can interact with sinners in almost every way, you know, uh, including pe you know, people living in sexual sin, which we know that you know, about half the guys in our churches are looking at pornography. Um, we not only invite them into our homes and have meals with them, we invite them into our churches and uh, our small groups and our lives and uh, it's like there's so much hypocrisy and the Pharisees love to point fingers. And so we we can't just set arbitrary boundaries. Um, that's something that Christian fundamentalism has been really good at. And fundamentalism is a theology that has failed us and has helped ruin our witness. Um, not the original definition of fundamentalism of the five fundamentals of the faith, but what it became with legalism and rules. It's like there were times when uh, in our culture when uh, a Christian couldn't go to a movie theater because they were worried about the image it might portray. And so the whole church would make a rule is that no one who's a member of this church can go to a movie theater. There's legalism in the area of alcohol. Uh, there's fundamentalist Christians who at times have been teetotalers that have said that no person should ever touch a drop of alcohol or be around anyone who does. And they're making these rules um, to back themselves up so far you know, from Scripture. But Jesus says that many of those people are whitewashed tombs. And when we make those rules like around something like alcohol, uh, we end up rejecting something that God made good. And so, you know, in the case of alcohol, a better way is understanding each situation and understanding that I am allowed to drink as long as it is not controlling me, as long as there's no drunkenness. And I also need to be sensitive to my brother on what kind of witness am I being to him? If I have a brother Christ who's a recovering alcoholic, I need to be careful and not offer him alcohol if it's going to cause him to stumble. I, I need to be careful about my witness, but that requires discernment for every person and for every situation and depending on who you're witnessing to. But when we make those black and white rules, we become whitewashed tombs. So we should be discerning over what others teach about marriage, their exegesis, their understanding of sexuality. Uh, we, we should make sure that our, our teachers, our pastors understand that homosexuality is a sin, that transgenderism is a sin, that God married, make marriage for one man and one woman for a lifetime. But we should also live in peace and unity, and we should also make sure that we are not making false accusations by lumping people together in groups they shouldn't be in, by making accusations like that Alistair Begg is now supporting same-sex marriage when that's absolutely not the case. I know many pastors 
who are willing to officiate weddings of people who are unequally yoked. And that's a type of marriage that God forbids. And I couldn't do that with a clear conscience. And I think that that is a major issue. And I have issues with pastors doing that. I think it's a grave error. And you're you're setting uh, this Christian up for a life of frustration and for a life that's going to be impossible to have the type of marriage that God would want for them. And I couldn't do that with a clear conscience. But there's times when we need to have unity and grace towards other Christians and towards pastors to have a, a conscience um, that uh, um, is clear with them based on their convictions. And so I'm not going to judge another pastor who, who officiates those weddings. I might have some conversations and make sure he's thought through it and see where his heart is and where he's coming from. But I'm not going to publicly accuse him of sin because of that. Uh, I, I think that as an officiant in a wedding of someone who is unequally yoked, you're, you're giving them a stamp of approval. You're endorsing it. You're celebrating it. You're being a part of uh, the the ceremony, that the conduit in which God blesses this wedding. And to me, um, that is much more serious than someone attending a wedding in any form. First Corinthians 13, 11 says, uh, finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice, strive for full restoration, encourage one another, be of one mind, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. And that is absolutely the opposite of what I've seen um, in this response to Alistair Begg in the last couple of weeks. There's not been love or peace. There's not been restoration. There's not been encouragement. First uh, uh, Timothy talks to us about how we uh, speak to an elder who we believe is in sin. I don't believe that Elder Sharbag is in sin, but even if you believe so, um, it talks about how you should approach them with gentleness. And that has not been, not been happening in the last couple of weeks. Uh, another observation is that I have a lot of concern how Christians are taking verses out of context to support their side. Uh, we love to nitpick at verses. We take one verse and we say, this is a verse that applies. I, I know I've had a tendency to do that, and I've had to um, go to the Lord with that, and I've had to be corrected with that at times, and that is a, a serious, serious issue. And I've seen that playing out so many times in this conversation recently. Uh, a lot of the, the scriptures I've been seeing taken out of context have come from the book of Corinthians. Um, Corinthians has a lot of good stuff. Paul was writing to a city that was full of idolatry and sexual immorality. And uh, he's, he's writing to a city that had all kinds of homosexuality, pagan worship, um, temple worship. And I want to explain a little bit about that because I've seen a lot of well-respected Bible teachers talk about, uh, oh, well, Paul told the Corinthians that uh, they, they shouldn't participate with the pagans um, because they're participating in a doctrine of demons with, with the temple worship and so forth. And so I think that this is comparing apples and oranges. Uh, when you look at Corinthian uh, idol worship in temples, it was an occult worship that involved prostitutes. They were literally worshiping uh, demons while having sex with prostitutes. I don't think that we can compare that to attendance of a same-sex wedding ceremony even if you would never go to that ceremony, I don't think that you can uh, look at what Paul says about being a part of prostitute occultic worship in these pagan temples and compare that to attending a same-sex wedding. 
Um, that's just a ridiculous uh, comparison. And we're not uh, having unity in the body of Christ by making those comparisons, by accusing people of who go to a wedding, um, with a, a same-sex wedding, of being demon worshipers. Like, that is not helpful for this conversation or for unity with our brothers. I've seen some Christians use uh, the verse from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23, which says, uh, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake in the table of the Lord and the table of the demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we uh, stronger than he? Okay, so that's strong. That, that goes back to uh, the cup of demons, but that is talking about the temple worship with prostitutes. And that is, that's a very serious issue that I don't think compares to attending a wedding. The next verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23, which is a verse I've seen people just use this one verse to try to make the case that you should never, ever go to a same-sex wedding. Verse 23, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Okay, so if you're going to make this black and white line saying that a Christian should never, ever attend a same-sex wedding because doing so um, is... Uh, celebrating the sin, I don't think you should start with a verse that says all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. This is a verse of discernment saying that there is a wide level of freedom in what we do as Christians and all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful and not all things are uh, will build up. And so we need to use discernment about which things build up and which things are helpful and which aren't. Uh, the next verse, verse 24 says, let one seek not his own good, but the good of his neighbor. And so um, I, I think that uh, we have to be careful and not use a verse like that out of context, because in even in its context, I don't think it condemns going to a same-sex wedding, even though we should use a lot of discernment over whether it's helpful and beneficial. Um, I think if anything, this says that there's a massive amount of freedom given to uh us as as Christians. I, I think when it comes to applying wisdom to different situations, it's so hard because there is different outcomes then. We come to different conclusions in different situations, and our brothers, sisters, Christ might come to different conclusions. Sometimes wisdom seems like it contradicts each other. And so we see verses in the Bible like say, you know, Jesus ate with sinners. And I, I seen I've seen people use that to justify celebrating sin. But then we see flee from sexual immorality. And so it's like, no, we're not going to go close to a person who is uh, uh, living in sin. Um, but wisdom is so hard because it's applied differently in different situations. I see that all the time in different passages of scripture that I think really point that out. Proverbs chapter 26, verse 4 says, Do not answer a fool according to his folly, or you yourself will be just like him. Verse 5 says, answer a fool according to his folly, or he will uh, be wise in his own eyes. Okay, so these two verses next to each other telling you the exact opposites. One says, do not answer a fool according to his folly. Another one says, answer a fool according to his folly. So there's different times. There's many times when a fool speaks, you just need to let it go and shut up and uh, don't stoop to his low. There's sometimes when a fool speaks in which... Uh, you need to put him in his place a little bit and show him 
his folly. And so we have to use discernment on which situations to apply that scripture to. What are some other people saying? Uh, there's a lot of people who I really, really respect who have come to strong conclusions um, on this, and I respect their take on it. I, I think that they're somewhat wrong in having such black and white answers. And there's times when I think that uh, they're taking some scriptures out of context. So so let's, let's look at a couple. Um, the first I want to look at is from a, a friend who I, I really, really respect. Um, his name is Nat Crawford. He's the uh, Bible teacher at Back of the Bible, which is a really big, uh, you know, worldwide ministry. I really have a lot of respect to him. I think respect for him. I think he's really wrong on how he's interpreting some some things with this issue. And so, let's just take a look at this reel that he did. It, this is the problem with these you know, sixty second snippets that we call reels is that. Uh, we can't put all the truth into them, but I want to point out a couple of things that he says in this. And so let's take a quick look. Christians attend gay weddings. Let's face it, in the culture today, things are continuing to drift farther and farther away from what God has established. We know that God created mankind as male and female for them to come together as husband and wife. And yet today, there are many people, including some Christians, who will say, love is love. Go and support your friends or family, even if they're living in sin. I, I want to point out something that uh, Nat said here. And so he said, sure, Christians attend a gay wedding. He said, absolutely not. He said that there's a lot of Christians who have now been convinced that love is love, like the world says, and so they should go to a gay wedding and celebrate. I think that that is uh, a misrepresentation of Christians who are deeply wrestling with these issues. Our world's mantra right now is love is love. And uh, they say to any two people can love one another or any three people can love one another. And so therefore all marriages are valid. All relationships are equally valid. Uh, two people of the same gender um, can can uh, get married uh, and it's okay and it's good and we should celebrate it. And that is what love is love means. That's what that term, love is love, means. And we reject that as Christians. We know that God puts standards on love and we can twist love. But that does not represent Christians who are prayerfully and hesitantly trying to make these decisions. I've sat with parents and family members and neighbors who are crying and heartbroken over what their family members are doing. And they are uh, tormented over this question of whether they should go to the wedding, what implications is it going to have? What is it going to do for their witness? Is it celebrating the sin or they, can they go with a mournful heart? And I think they can go with a mournful heart, just like I've gone through heterosexual weddings with a mournful heart, knowing that this is this lacks uh, the ideal, the standard that God has for marriage. And so um, I, I think that he's completely misrepresenting and undermining um, the struggle of family members who believe in biblical marriage, yet who are striving to um, have a relationship with their family and trying to figure out how do I best witness to them? How do I best have a relationship with them? So next I want to share um, a uh, different article from uh, Kevin DeYoung. And I love Kevin DeYoung. I thought that... Um, 
this was a great article that he explained himself well. Um, I thought that he misconstrued some things and misrepresented some things. And so I want to point that out. And uh, I, I, I really think that Kevin DeYoung is a very gracious pastor. Uh, he's taught me a lot. I really love him. But I, I think that this is a case of uh, picking and choosing um, some different verses and misrepresenting them in, in ways that um, aren't helpful and aren't um, uh, really fair and don't accurately represent uh, these situations. And so I'm sharing this um, uh, article by him. And so so I have this uh, on the screen right now. And so uh, the argument... Um, premise number one, that gay marriage is not marriage. And so I, I agree with that, that it is completely redefining marriage. And he also says that uh, this argument that a marriage is to be between one man and one woman, and gay marriage is an offense to God, um, uh, and sanctioning kind of sexual activity that the Bible condemns um, is, uh, you know, an offense to God. And I don't disagree with all of that. Um, however, uh, Marriage between one man and one woman. Again, we need to be consistent, and there's all kinds of situations where we have distorted the image of marriage, and we have marriage that are not marriage that are not meaning the ideal. We need to not be hypocrites in how we apply that. Um, so, uh, gay wedding, a gay premise number two is a gay wedding celebrates and solemnizes a lie, and so um, I think that we have to use discernment with that and. Uh, um, I, I don't want to celebrate someone's sin, yet I got to a lot of weddings where I wasn't really celebrating and I went out of active love. And I think that we need to uh, leave that possibility open for these weddings. Um, and so I, I think that that is a false premise, uh, even though the natural uh, tendency for a wedding is to be celebration. I think that many times, many of us have gone to a wedding with a mournful heart. But we've done it in all kinds of circumstances uh, uh, to show love and support, even though we don't agree. Um, attendance at a gay wedding, this is his premise number three. Attendance at a gay wedding bears a public witness to the uh, perpetuated goodness of what is taking place in that public event. Um, and so uh, I, I think that I, I disagree. I think that it can do that. And so we need to be careful not to do that. And that might be some way uh, a way that some people take it. Um, and so I think that we need to be less concerned with how will people perceive and what will the appearance be? That's how the Pharisees always tried to nail Jesus is how does this appear? And he always rebuked them for that. And so we need to um, uh, make sure that we're not being, again, hypocritical in how we uh, set these standards. We need to make sure that um, we're not uh, reading more into it than we are. Uh, and so um, I, I, I think that uh, um, as a public witness, sometimes we need to be less concerned about what people might think because it's usually the religious people who get the wrong impression. And I, I think I saw a comment, I think it was on uh, um, Kevin's uh Facebook post where he shared this article after he had written it of someone said, oh yeah, I would never go to that wedding because then uh, of, of a same-sex couple 
because then all the same sex, you know, LGBTQ community is going to be saying, oh, look at Alistair Begg and look at his people. See, it's not wrong to go to a uh, same sex wedding and and you must be a worse Christian because you're not willing to go. It's like we can't control what sinners believe about us. We can't control their perceptions. And if they're going to make false accusations against us, we can't control that. And so we need to be obedient to what God is calling us to do and give uh, less credence to how other people, religious and, you know, uh, people and sinners who are unrepentant, who are blind in their transgressions might view us because they're going to view us through the wrong lenses. They're going to view us through their lens of sin and they're going to twist everything that we do. Just like people could have twisted Jesus eating with the sinners. Um, uh, he didn't care. He still did it out of an act of love for them. And he also called them to repentance. And so we, we earn the right to do that in someone's life. And we look for opportunities um, to, to do that. Uh, so Kevin addresses three objections um, to the arguments he made. And so I, I appreciate him looking at the other side. Um, uh, one objection was that being at a wedding doesn't entail agreement. And he argues otherwise. He says that being there is affirming it. And so... Uh, there's something to be said for that, but we need to apply that across the board to all weddings of, of sinners, especially living in unrepentant sin or with people who are unequally yoked who, or who've been divorced and, and so forth. Um, and so I, I think that that uh, is not a great argument, especially with um, our current standard of, of marriages in this country. And so, uh, but I, I was really caught off guard with the, uh, um, uh, or intrigued by the biblical case he tried to make for it. He said, attending a gay wedding does not take place outside of a larger web of cultural meaning. He said, if Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego knew in their hearts that they were not worshiping Nebuchadnezzar's image, but they had explained their differences with Nebuchadnezzar ahead of time, it would not have made uh, their bowing before the statue any more acceptable. The public act of bowing um, had a recognizable meaning, whatever their private intentions or whatever private conversations that take place. Okay, that's a good point. But uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were supposed to worship something other than God and they refused to do though, and they were right to do so. And so they weren't just concerned about their image. They didn't say, well, uh, what if we do this or don't do this based on our image, but they refused to worship a false God and they were obedient to that. And I don't think that you can say that the attendance of a wedding and how you discern that you should go there is worshiping a false God, regardless of what's in your heart. And so, so I think that that is a false equivalence and um, uh, that, that he is, is making. Then he also talked about this issue of Paul's instructions in first Corinthians chapters eight through 10 of food sacrifice to idols. And so uh, he acknowledges that the exegesis is complicated and not everyone agrees on what Paul is forbidding or allowing. Um, Kevin here thinks that Paul forbids any eating any, eating any meat that was knowingly used in pagan worship. So uh, I, I, I don't think that all theologians interpret it that way. I think scripture, I think it makes clear that Paul says you can eat the meat that you want to eat because the idols do nothing to it that you have freedom, but you also need to be careful not to use that freedom to cause your brother to stumble, which again 
that takes discernment in different situations. And so um, I, I don't think that that was the best that, that was the best correlation, especially with this idol worship in the temples was people themselves uh, participating in occultic sex practices, usually involving prostitutes and, 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 and women who are enslavery to that, which is just absolutely horrid to think about. And so I think, again, that is um, a uh, false equivalence. So uh, Christians should show compassion and build bridges with unbelievers. That's one of the objections. And that's, you know, that's one that we see. And that's one that I agree with that we should show compassion and build bridges. Um, and so uh, um, I, I do agree. That's probably what I agree with him the most um, on is that uh, we shouldn't just give in to the demands of unrepentant sinners. All right. So if they want to cut off relationship um, with us, then that's their problem. And so, so I do agree with that. And this is a hard issue. I've sat with parents many, many times as they are grieving their child's demands, their child's demands to call them by a certain name or to, you know, erase the memories and the pictures of who they were before they transgender transition genders. And we all have to figure out what is the hill I'm going to die on. And for some parents, they've determined that I'm going to continue to call my child by the name that I gave them when they were born. And some parents have come to a different conclusion that for the sake of a relationship, I will go ahead and call them the name that they want to be called. They've done it with prayer and discerning according to their own conscience. And I think that we need to respect that. And so we need to respect those decisions that people make to maintain a relationship um, within reason. It's like, you no, know, uh, and we need to, then, as people are making those decisions, we need to be a part of their life. We need to help them with a discerning process. Uh, we need to pray with them, but we can't just sit back from a distance on social media and uh, be a keyboard warrior making those decisions for other people on what hills they can die on to, re make, to retain relationships and which ones they can't. Um, so, uh, so another objection is that Christians who refuse to refuse an invitation to attend a gay wedding are guilty of being Pharisees. And you no, know, I, I kind of agree with that, but not always. Like, I think we can refuse to attend a gay wedding. Like we can refuse to attend a lot of them. Um, but, uh, I, I, I think that we can't make those choices for other people in every situation. And we are Pharisees when we make black and white rules and we almost rejoice and delight in catching someone so that we can we can destroy them like I've seen people doing. And I don't think that that's Kevin's heart in this. I don't see him doing in this, doing that in this article. Uh, and so, um, yeah, so we have to be careful and not uh, not be Pharisees and and not make arbitrary rules of I'm going to celebrate this sin, but here's a line that no one is going to cross, and I will try to destroy them uh, and you know publicly rebuke them if I catch them crossing that line in how they interact with sinners. So so I appreciate Kevin's heart, but I think that all of the cases he tried to make here. Um, uh, and the, the, uh, were off in some way. And I think it was a little bit of misuse of scripture or misrepresenting what culture 
uh, or what people are trying to discern at times. And so we need to try to understand the hearts of the people who are wrestling through these things. We need to try to understand the um, the pros and the cons and weigh them out with, with prayer in every situation and give grace to those who come to a different conclusion. And we need to be on our knees praying for them in unity that uh, they could have an impact on this person's life. I, I once heard it said, um, the only sin you should be outraged by is your own. And you know, there is sin of the world that we should probably be outraged by. It's like, oh gosh, I wish as I saw this outrage last two weeks over Alistair Begg and so many people trying to cancel him. I wish that people were outraged by their own sin as they are someone else's. I think the world would be a much better place because we would be seeing revivals of people coming to their knees in repentance towards Christ because they would be convicted of their own sin and they'd see their need for Jesus. They'd repent of their own sex, sexual immorality, their pornography, their sex outside marriage, their cohabitation, and they'd quit uh, uh, judging others so harshly and say we could walk in unity and understanding that these are hard situations and we're going to be on our knees in prayer and not be so judgmental of people who come some different conclusions on the boundaries they set uh, in with engaging in sinners. So with that said, I would like to just close us in prayer. Dear Lord, I thank you so much for this time. I thank you um, for your love and grace. And Lord, um, as there's so much animosity and judgment and condemnation in the body of Christ today, I pray that uh, we would rise above that. I pray that there'd be repentance where there needs to be. I pray that there'd be grace and unity. I pray that people would not just be keyboard warriors, uh, but that people would um, uh, seek your will, that they take these issues seriously, that they take all sexual sins seriously, that they take all marriages seriously. I pray that we'd see revival in this country. I pray that uh, um, we would uh, love our neighbors who are sinners and that we would go to you in prayer on how to interact with them and what boundaries to set with them. I pray for love and grace, repentance. Uh, I pray that this ministry could uh, be a light to people and that this would be fruitful in people's lives. Pray this in your name. Amen. All right. Thank you, everyone.